second reading this morning is, is from Numbers chapter 6. I'm going to read uh, verses 22 through 27. Hear the word of God. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus shall you bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, as we gather around uh, your word this morning, we pray that you would send us your Holy Spirit to uh, open our ears and to soften our hearts. Lord, I, I pray that we would uh, hear your eternal word spoken to us on this day. You are the King of kings and you are from everlasting to everlasting, but you are also ruler of this day and we commit it to you and we pray uh, that you would favor us with a word. And we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, I have to um, comment on Jordan's reading of the first uh, reading this morning, which was like, all, it was nothing but Hebrew names, okay? Uh, we, we read them last week. Uh, I, did I read them last week? I think I did. I didn't want to, I didn't, oh yeah, Harrison did the one reading, but I didn't give it to Harrison. Uh, so, you know, one of the rules in reading uh, Hebrew names is, is that you just sin boldly. You just plow through them because they're very, very difficult. Um, and so I, w I was admiring. I have, I have like a, I don't know if it's a, 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 I don't know if it's a classified reading disorder, but if I see a new word, I have a hard time decoding it. There's a, there's a town out in western Pennsylvania, north of Pittsburgh, and I'd be driving with my wife, and we'd see, we'd see the exit sign to this town, and I could never pronounce it. It's, it's Zelianople, right? Zelianople. But for me, it was like Zelianopoly. I couldn't figure it out. And so when I see all these Hebrew names, uh, my, my brain freezes. And so I'm, I'm grateful to you, sir. Uh, I'm going to have to mention these names later in the sermon, uh, and I won't do it so well. So last week, I, I had to stop my sermon a, a short uh, because, well, we ran out of time, and so this week I'm simply going to pick up the sermon uh, where we left it off. Last week was the first uh, installment in what is going to be a year-long series of sermons through the book of Numbers, which is the fourth book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. You can think of Numbers as Exodus part two. Numbers picks up the story of the Israelite people where the book of Exodus leaves off out there in the wilderness by Mount Sinai. The descendants of Abraham, after living in Egypt as slaves for 400 years, are rescued by God. They're taken out of Egypt. They're set free, and they're bound for the promised land, the land that God had promised to Abraham seven generations before. 
But before they get to the promised land, the children of Israel first have to stop at Mount Sinai because at Mount Sinai, God is going to speak with them and he's going to give them uh, his word and his law. In some very deep and true way, the Israelite people are not really God's people until he has given them his word. Think about this for a second. You and I are not the people of God until we have the word of God. It's the word of God which changes us. It is the word of God which saves us. It is the word of God which sets us free. It is the word of God which gives us our identity as Christians, which gives us our understanding of who it is that we are, which explains the kind of universe that we are living in, which reveals to us what the maker of this universe is like. It is God's word which opens the path to salvation and to eternal life. In some very deep and fundamental way, the Israelites were not God's people until God had given them his word, which he first did there at Mount Sinai on stone tablets. In time, of course, God would write that word on the hearts of his people. From the time of Abraham until the time of Moses, the descendants of Abraham were living on the barest promises. But at Mount Sinai, God gives them his full word, his law, and that law begins to shape and to form their identity as a people. What it means to be a Jew is not rooted in genetics. It's rooted in the belief and in the practices that are embedded in the law of Moses given at Mount Sinai. Being a child of God is not about our ancestry or our genealogy. There are no second generation Christians. Just because mom and dad believe doesn't mean that we believe. To be a child of God means having the word of God rooted in our hearts. And that first happened at Mount Sinai. God gives the descendants of Abraham his word and his law. That law will shape and it will govern how they live their lives, how they worship. It will determine what kind of people they are going to be. God has claimed the children of Israel as a special nation for himself. He intended for them to be a different people, not like the other nations who were around a separated people, a peculiar people, for those of you who still read the King James Bible, the formation of a separate, of a peculiar people of God has its roots back in the promise to Abraham, but it really begins to take shape in the exodus, in the escape from slavery, in the receiving of the law of God at Mount Sinai. The book of Numbers picks up the story there. Okay, so God has rescued more than a million people, and he's taken them on eagle's wings out of slavery from the most powerful nation on earth at that time, and he brings them out into the desert to his holy mountain, and he gives them his word, his covenant, uh, actually on tablets of stone. So what next? Well, what next is what the book of Numbers tells us. The book of Numbers takes us 
on a 40-year journey through the wilderness right up to the banks of the Jordan River. We have to read the book of Joshua to hear about entering the promised land, but the book of Numbers is an important book because it tells us about the pilgrim wanderings of the rescued people of God. They're no longer slaves, but they're not yet in the land of milk and honey. In a very real way, this book is about our lives as Christians. We've been rescued. We have received God's word, but we're not yet in the promised land. There's still a long way to go. What that journey what that journey is going to look like and where we will go and how God will go with us on that journey, well, that's what the book of Numbers talks about. Last Sunday, we began to talk about God going with his people through the wilderness up to the promised land. We read about the census that God told Moses to take of the Israelite people. The names of all of these people were written down according to their families and according to their tribes. Hundreds of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of names, all of them written down. Is it possible that each and every person in that huge company out in the desert, is it possible that each and every person in that huge company was important to God? There is no question that God not only saved the nation of Israel as a whole, as a corporate entity, but that he also saved hundreds of thousands of individuals. Each one is precious in his sight. The name of each person counts and matters. God not only preserves the church as a corporate entity against the gates of hell, but God also preserves individual Christians and he knows each of our names. By the way, I'm wearing my name tag today. Laura Haynes, who's our children's minister, reminded me that these name tags are very helpful. And you know who they're helpful for? Not for you. They're helpful for the other people who don't know your names. Okay, I will give, how much would I give? I'll give $25 to any person in this room who knows the name of every other person in this room. Do I have any takers? That's why we need name tags. So they're on, they're on that table back there, okay? They're on that. Emily, if you want to make $25 next week, okay, you, you, if you can name every person in this sanctuary, I will give you $25, okay? All right, so th- that's what that's for. Uh, you can feel free to wear one of those. What am I talking about here? Okay, uh, God knows each of our names, Okay, and there, there's something, you know, when this, when this census happens, it isn't that God just, just counted, counted the numbers. He wanted to know the names of those people. I would love to see the scroll that that was written down on. I wish it had been preserved. But, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of names were, were inscribed. Last Sunday and this Sunday, uh, we read, and Jordan read for us, a list of names of men who were chosen by their tribes to be the assistant 
counters. Okay, so the job has been given to Moses and to Aaron. God gives them this job of counting all of the people, but they don't do the job themselves because it's too big of a job. And this morning I want to talk a little bit about these names, the names of these assistants, because the names are interesting and the names are important, and I want us to spend a little time thinking about these names. We get their names, and we also get the names of their fathers. I mean, I guess this would be like their, uh, you know, their first name and their second name. Here, I'm going to try to say some of these names. Eliezer, son of Shedder. Eliezer, son of Shedder. Okay, so Eliezer, the name means my God is my rock. How do you do? My name is my God is my rock. And his father's name is Shedder, which means El Shaddai, or God Almighty, is my light. How do you do? My name is God is my light. Imagine going through life announcing yourself as God is my rock. How do you do? My name is God is my rock. Shalumiel, son of Zurishaddai, Shalumiel means God is my friend. And Jerushadai means the Almighty is my rock. And how about Elishama, which means God has heard me. Or Gamaliel, which means God is my reward. As we go down through this list, we see name after name where the identity, probably the character of the individual is established, where the identity is determined by their relationship to Almighty God. Think about that for a second. I mean, names are important to us. My grandson, Sebastian Adamson Bruce, he was born on November 30th. He's a very beautiful boy. You haven't seen him yet. He'll be here one of these days. His father has COVID today, so that was one more reason why he's not here. But uh, this child has a name that his parents thought about carefully, how to name this child. A lot of thought goes into the choosing the names of our children. In some way, we pin our hopes and our dreams and our aspirations on our children by the names that we choose for our children. There are different naming traditions, of course, in different cultures, but here in Israel in this early time, parents name their children in terms of their relationship with Almighty God. The children of Israel had what I would call God names. Their name is a God name. It's, it's a name that defines their relationship to their God. Well, we don't name ourselves that way here, but what if we did? What if, and I think the Puritans did. The Puritans used to give names to their children that were, in a sense, their God names. What if we gave ourselves God names? Names that speak to our relationship with God. I mean, who we are is determined by our relationship to God. It's our basic identity is rooted in our relationship with God. When you answer the question, who are you, 
You say something about your identity, about what makes you, you. If you ask me, who are you, and if you ask me here at church, I'll probably say, I'm Pastor Dan. That name says something about my relationship to this church, to this congregation. If you ask me when I'm at a party with my wife, I might say, I'm Ava's husband, Dan, because that's part of my identity too. I'm not who I am if I'm not Ava's husband. When I'm at Valley Christian School, out on the playground, the younger kids, the ones who are not yet in middle school chapel where I preach each week, the younger kids will come up to me and they'll say, are you Mia's dad? Absolutely. Being Mia's dad is part of my identity. It's part of who I am. But what about my relationship to God? Before I am Mia's dad and before I am Ava's husband and before I am HVPC's pastor, I have some kind of relationship with God. God knew me before I knew him. God planted me in a Christian family. God gave me Christian parents. God gave me faith in Jesus Christ. God claimed me as his own. Those of you who've heard my testimony know that I consider myself a twice-born-again Christian because I was born again when I was young and I walked away from my faith and I had to return. One day, I'm going to spend all of eternity with Almighty God in New Jerusalem, but that's only because I returned to the faith like a prodigal. All of that is who I am. That's part of my identity. It's part of my deep, true identity, a twice-born prodigal. Somehow, I think that's my God name, the twice-born born-again prodigal. That speaks to who I am in relationship to God, and God is the most fundamental relationship that we have. All of our other relationships rest upon that relationship that we have with God. So what's your God name? You can make one up. We asked the middle schoolers to do this. They wrote God names in a little booklet or a little uh, folder that they bring with them in the chapel. Could it be loved by God? Is that your God name? Is it forgiven by God? Is it God is my joy? Could that be your God name? God met me in my grief. Could that be your God name? God is my help. I once was lost, but God found me. Could that be your God name? What's your God name? Maybe you've heard Charlene Crawford say this, and I hope I don't say it wrong, but she remembers as a child growing up in the church and being taught that uh, God loves all the little children. But Charlene knew that she was God's favorite. Sure, God loved all the little children, but, he, but I'm his favorite. And I think that's Charlene's God name. The favorite of God. Why not? 
I think we need to think about our identity in Christ, who it is that we are. I think we need to think about our God name. Our second reading this morning is from Numbers chapter 6. I jumped ahead a bit uh, in our reading uh, through uh, the book of Numbers. We will fill in the gap there. That reading from Numbers chapter 6 is known as the Aaronic benediction, not the ironic benediction, the Aaronic benediction. You've heard it many times here in worship. God commanded Aaron and the sons of Aaron, who were the, the priests over Israel, to bless the people of Israel by saying, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, which is his face, upon you and give you peace. Now, some of you know that every time the word Lord is used there, uh, in in your Bibles, uh, the word Lord will be printed with all capital letters. Whenever you see the word Lord printed in all capital letters in your Uh, English Bible, it means that the Hebrew word there is Yahweh, which is the proper name of God. So in the same way that my name is Dan, Dan is my proper name, Yahweh is the proper name of God. Sometimes in the Bible, um, you'll see Lord, uh, capital L, and then lowercase o-r-d, and in that case, the word in Hebrew is Adonai, which means Lord, uh, but it's not his proper name, it's his title, in the same way that my title is pastor. And so in the Aaronic benediction, we hear Yahweh bless you. Yahweh make his face to shine upon you. Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you. And then after all of that, God then says, so shall they, the priests, put my name on the people of Israel, and I will bless them. God puts his name on on us. Okay? God says, these are my people, and they get my name. My name is Yahweh. They have my name. They are the, the people of Yahweh. That's what happens when we're adopted into a family. We receive the name of the parents who adopt us. Those parents say, you know what? This one is mine. He gets my name. I put my name on them. There are a lot of people in the world. All the people in the world were created by God. They are all God's creatures. But out of all of those people, God calls for himself. God claims for himself a special people. And he adopts those people as his own. They call him Father, and he puts his name on them. You're Yahweh's people. He blesses them, and he calls them by his name. It is the name of our adoptive Father, which gives us our true identity. It's who we are. We are Yahweh's family. Now, as Christians, we do the same thing. We take the name Christian, which is the name of Christ. When we say who, if someone says, what are you? You say, I'm a Christian. You are identifying yourself. You are mm, naming yourself in terms of who your Lord is. Each one of us has been given a name by those who loved us before we were born by our parents, 
Sometimes we love those names. Sometimes those names don't exactly fit. But we have a name that's been given to us. The name of Yahweh has been placed on us. And I want each one of us, during the course of this week, maybe the next time, actually, this, we, we're going to do this next time. Next time we come to church, you're going you're to put on your name tag, and you're going to have the name that your parents gave you. And maybe some of us will be willing to write their God name underneath. Daniel, twice born again, prodigal. Let's pray. Father God Almighty, we love you and we adore you. We love you because you loved us first. We love you because you are good and you are great. We thank you that you have called a people, a peculiar people, to be separated, uh, to be a holy nation, a nation of priests unto you. We thank you uh, for this high calling that you've called us into. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would live more fully into uh, the reality of our adoption. We, con we confess that we often wander around this world acting as though we're orphans, and yet we've been ad adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High. Convince us of that. Let us live into that reality. Lord, may we take your name as a blessing. May we hear your name as a blessing. May it strengthen us and encourage us. May we know that we are part of the family of God, that we have been set aside for a special work in this world, that we have been set aside for eternity. May you be honored and glorified in our lives. May we bear your name well. May we bring you honor by how we live and by how we act, by how we speak how we think. Lord, we pray for those of our numbers who are not able to be in the service this day because they are traveling or because of sickness. We pray that the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be real and alive uh, to them. Lord, I do pray uh, for Josh Bruce, and I pray that you would remove uh, this COVID from his body. I pray that you would protect the rest of his family. I pray for Joan Clover. I pray that you would relieve her pain and that you would allow her to be out and about soon. I pray that you would give her patience and resilience in this time of trial. Lord, for those who are grieving this day, I pray that you would be a comfort to them. For those who are weary, I pray that you would bear them up and let them feel strong. For those who are lonely, Lord, I pray that you would be a companion to them. Lord, I pray that you continue to bless the work of this church. I thank you for sustaining uh, the work of Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church through many generations. We thank you for the place that we have here on the side of Huntington Pike. We thank you for those who you continue to call into this fellowship. We pray that you would keep us faithful to the gospel, the unchanging gospel. We pray that you continue to prosper this ministry. Father God, we offer all of these prayers in faith and in trust. We offer them in the name of Jesus who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I want to, oh, I want to invite uh, the elders and the deacons who are to be ordained and installed to come forward. Actually, why don't you come here, right where I'm standing. And I'm going to move this out of the way. Charlene Crawford is traveling with her family today. And so she very carefully gave me instructions. And she said that if we face this way, the people who are watching online will be able to see our faces. Okay? How about that? So all of these individuals have been elected by the voice of this congregation we believe um, that God calls people into special service through the voice of the church. Uh, they have been examined by the session regarding their profession uh, of faith. Um, and what we're doing here today is uh, we're going to ask them a series of constitutional questions um, and that they have to answer. Um, if they answer right, then we will ordain them. Uh, a little later, I'm going to invite all of the elders who are here, whether or not you're currently serving on the session, to come forward, and we will, we will lay hands uh, on, on these people. Um, are you guys ready? I, I'm going to read uh, all... Oh, you want those. Do you, does everybody have one of those? Here we go. So you know what you're signing up for. <laughs> oh, good. You're, you're extra prepared. They're in your bulletins, by the way. Do you affirm, do you reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? If so, please say, I do. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and only infallible rule of faith and practice? If so, please say, I do. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the Westminster Confession of Faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? If so, please say, I do. Do you promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with the system of doctrine as taught in the Scriptures and as contained in the Westminster Confession of Faith and the catechisms of this church, you will, on your own initiative, make known to your church session the change which has taken place in your view since the assumption of this ordination vow. Let me explain this. If they believe something now and they're affirming it and later they change their mind, I don't know, at some point they come to believe that Jesus was a space alien, okay? They promised to come to the session and say, well, actually, I changed my mind on that. And then we would have to unordain them. Okay? So that's what, if so, please say, I do. I do. Okay. Do you uh, affirm and adopt the essentials of our faith without exception? If so, please say, I do. Do you subscribe to the government and discipline of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church? If so, please say, I do. Do you promise subjection to your fellow presbyters in the Lord? What this means is, is that they are promising 
to um, respect and to obey one another, uh, all under the head of Christ? If so, please say, I do. Having, have you been induced, as far as you know your own heart, to accept the office of ruling elder or deacon from love of God and a sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his son? If so, please say, I have. Do you now reaffirm, oh, this is for George. I think, is George the only one who's signing up again? Okay, so I think this is, uh, this is for George. Do you now reaffirm the vows you took upon your ordination, and do you recommit yourself to them in the discharge of your obligation? If so, please say, I do. Okay. Um, and this is for all of you again. Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and the peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account. And let me say, persecution and opposition does come to the officers of the church, and it's part, it's part of the territory. Um, do you promise that? Okay, and we'll go to the back side. Will you seek to be a faithful and will you seek to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as ruling elder and as deacon, whether personal or relative, public or private, and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary piety before this congregation to which God will make you an officer. If so, please say, I will with God's help. Are you now willing to take responsibility in the life of this congregation as a ruling elder or a deacon and will you seek to discharge your duties relying upon the grace of God in such a way that the entire church of Jesus Christ may be blessed? If so, please say, I am. All right, this is a question for the congregation. Do you, the members of this congregation, receive these individuals as ruling elders and deacons, and do you promise to give them and all of your officers the honor encouragement and obedience in the Lord to which the ordination as an officer entitles them according to the word of God and the constitution of the evangelical Presbyterian church. If so, please say, we do. Let us confess what it is that we believe as Christians using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. I'm going to invite the elders to come forward. We're going to pray over these people.
why don't you, why don't you candidates step a little forward and they're going to step behind you and they're going to lay hands on you from behind. You ready? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the ways in which you call us individually, the ways in which you equip us to be part of your body, to exercise the gifts that you've given to us, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of your church. Lord, I thank you for calling these individuals into service in your church. I pray that you would give them a full measure of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would enable them to do what they cannot do in their own strength. I pray that their time of service would be a time of joy for them. I pray that as they seek to bless others that they would feel blessed. Lord, I thank you for the call that you've placed on each of our lives, and I thank you that you've knit us together into the body of Christ, a a body that's made up of many different organs and parts. Enable us by the power of your Spirit to honor one another, to submit to one another, to strengthen one another, to encourage one another. We pray this for our benefit We pray it for the reputation of the church in the world.